texts, and all of them will be put on the screen for you, so you don't have to be racing all over the Bible. Um, but a thrill of hope is our theme, and I want to begin by sharing with you a video that went viral. Have you seen the video of an Amazon delivery guy who's out just making his deliveries, and then someone thought it would be nice to set out some food and snacks for all the delivery guys and gals who are coming through as a way of saying Merry Christmas. Check out this video of this guy who was surprised by these gifts. Oh, this is nice! Oh, they got some goodies! Wow! Oh, this is sweet! Oh, wow! Get out of here! This is sweet! Oh, this is so nice! This guy is thrilled because somebody set out a thoughtful gift for him as he's just going about his day and he went on to continue making his deliveries, right? Um, he, he's dancing because someone gave him like Cheetos, right? And he's thrilled. Now, what's really cool about that is that is actually a lot like Christmas. Like the shepherds who were out in the fields were like virtually like the Amazon delivery folks of today. They were just working, and it, you know, it's just pretty kind of menial job, just going out, just, you know, they're just working, and then suddenly the angels appear and say, hey, come and see what God has done in Bethlehem. And, and them walking up to the manger and seeing what God laid out as a gift to them, you know, they, I mean, they're just like, hey! And they were thrilled because what God put in the box was better than Cheetos and Pepsi, all right? God put eternal life out for them. And they were filled with a thrill of hope. Hey, are you filled with a thrill of hope this Christmas? Do you see what God laid out for you? Do you see what he put out for you as you're just going about your day? And are you like, whoa, hey, Look what he laid out. When it comes to hope, the world's definition might confuse you. The world's definition of hope is, well, I, I hope things might end well. Like, I hope we win. I hope I get to, to go here. I, it's a very fickle definition. But the Bible's definition of hope is different. It means facing the future joyfully fearless. Joyfully fearless. And if you know what God laid, God laid out for you in Bethlehem, you can have a thrill of hope. The sermon today is going to present four calls of hope from the scripture. And so I thought I'd be a little festive and call it Four Calling Birds. So that it's a little more memorable. Is there, every time you hear that song on the radio, and, and, and you'll be like, all right, 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 Pastor Ryan preached on that, Four Calling Birds. Uh, four Calls of Hope from the Bible. Let me pray, and then I'll share those with you today. Thank you, Father, for the calls to hope that you uh, have laid out for us eternal life, and that you call us to it through your Son, Jesus Christ. Show us today how Christmas works. Show us today how in this uh, dark and fallen world, we can dance with joy because of the hope we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first call to hope that you can write down as you're taking notes in your bulletin is this. 
Believe a divine promise. We are called to believe a divine promise. If you want to live with a thrill of hope, you must believe a divine promise. This comes from Titus 1, 1 to 3. We'll put that on the screen, but here's what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Here it is, in hope of what? Of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. You see here that hope of eternal life is something God promised when? Before time began. And the Bible is clear that God cannot lie. He can't say he's going to do something and then not do it. It's not keeping it with his nature. So he has to keep a promise that he makes. And before time began, our God made a promise of eternal life to his people of faith. Believe this divine promise and you can live with a thrill of hope. Now, when it comes to God being a planner and a promiser, God planned the ending of the story before time even began. He had the ending done on the script before any one of the scenes was actually acted out. Our God knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's not up in heaven worried about how things are going to actually end. He's not up there getting dispatches from earth. What did they do now with my world? Uh, He has the ending done, and he promised eternal life to his faithful followers before time even started. Do you believe that? Do you believe the divine promise? That's where a thrill of hope begins, knowing that God planned the ending before the beginning. I love when angels appear in the stories of Scripture. They're never worried. All right, when they come down, they're never like, listen fast, everyone, you're ruining it. They're, they're like really zen. All right, they're like really chill. And, and right away, they're like, don't be afraid. Like they calm you down. Don't, don't be afraid. They're just so poised and collected. And they're from heaven, which shows you that there's not a lot of panic up there. There's a lot of joy and peace up there because they know how the story is going to end. They inspire us to just calm down, right? I saw a video of this Christmas pageant recently, and one kid got to be an angel, and the kid was really fired up. Check it out. like minister to us when they show up they're just like really joyful and really confident and they're never like you're ruining it all of you are ruining it you first get over here and we're going to fix you first like they're just because they know how it's going to end and listen if you believe a divine promise you can live knowing how it's going to end and it changes everything about your life you can live with a thrill of hope because you know how it's going to end. You can be joyfully fearless because you know the ending. You've seen it, and you believe God made a promise, and therefore it's bound to happen soon. Uh, Jot this down. God ordained a glorious ending before time began. The glorious ending was eternal life. He promised that 
we would live forever with him if we knew through his promise how to be his people. The promise is that eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. You can have a thrill of hope when you think about your ending if you know that God has promised before time to give you eternal life. God ordained a glorious ending before time began. This is called providence. God as creator can direct all matter, energy, time, and space toward his will. And because he's in total control, his sovereign intentions will prevail in the end. The idea of God being a sovereign God is never intended to create apathy as if like, well, if it's already done, then I guess I don't need to care. No. It's never to suggest that you're a robot. Well, if God's got the ending done, then I guess he's just doing it all right now. No, that's not what it means. The very fact that this is revealed to us as a promise means that he leaves room for a response and for a relationship based on what you've heard. He doesn't just say it and be like, there, now that you know I'm pulling your levers, just keep walking. Like a, no, he, he shares it in a way that invites relationship and that invites response. And when you relate and respond to a sovereign God, you find rest and hope for your soul. And when you find yourself resisting a sovereign God, you find no peace within. God ordained a glorious ending from before time began. And because you are made in his image, you can have his very joy and presence surging through you. And you can glorify him, meaning you are proof that there is a God who sovereignly rules the universe. You can be living proof of that. But the Bible also says there's war in heaven. You can fight that. You can resist that. You can refuse that. You can reject that and then live with the consequences. God ordained a glorious ending before time began. And it says here in Titus 1, 1 to 3, God never lies, promised before the ages began. Then it says, at the proper time, he manifested his word. How? How can we find out about these promises? We can't go up there to heaven and, you know, look around the records. It says, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So jot this down. God declared his eternal plan in his word. He declared his eternal plan in his word. This is where, for some people, there's a breakdown. Because they believe there's a God and they want to go to heaven uh, but when it comes to the Bible or preachers or church, then they're like, nope, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. And they assume that they can have this like walkie-talkie relationship with God. Well, he, he talks to me every day. And they rule out the mediation factor, and they want to be their own authority on what God is revealing to them. And listen, folks, i got to tell you, that's simply not how heaven works. When God wanted to get an authoritative message to you that has the power to save your soul, he handed it down through the apostles and the prophets and the preachers in the New and the Old Testament. And if you don't get past the barrier that you have to be okay with other people speaking to you from God, then you'll never actually hear from God. If you think that you're the only one who's going to actually just look up and whatever he tells me, he tells me, and I'm not listening to anyone else, you can't have an unmediated relationship with a holy God. It's not possible. First of all, because you're not qualified in your sin. But second of all, because God has ordained to reveal himself, to disclose himself through his word. So all who want to draw near to him have to humble themselves under the authority of God's word. This is over you. This is over me. Then we can know the promised decrees of a holy God. 
Without submission to the authoritative word of God, you will never know God. Really what we say when we refuse to let the Bible tell us about God is we just want to make up a God ourselves. We just want to like, you know, be the ones to be able to draw him and define him. And guess why we do that? Because then we can control him. And God says, no deal, no deal. He has to be able to define himself. And he's done that by making uh, eternal plans and revealing them through his word. Now, that, this is called prophecy. So providence is God who has his sovereign intentions all done and completed. But prophecy is how he makes that known to you. And the Bible is very clear. It says this is God-breathed, which means when you're reading your Bible, you're reading God's lips. This is him speaking to you. And it bears the authority of heaven. And it tells us how this story is going to end. Now, I've got to tell you, I went to see Star Wars, and I know how the story ends. But I'm not going to tell you. See, because that's a no-no among human culture. <laughs> People don't want to know how something ends until they go and see it for themselves. And if I were to tell you the things I know, I know them right now. I know how it's going to end. And when you sit in the movie theater, you're like, oh, how's it going to end? I could tell you. Because I've seen it, and I know it, and it's awesome, and you should go see it too, all right? <laughs> but God spoiled the ending. He's not up there like, oh, I'm not telling one of them. Yep, uh-uh, any angel that leaks is in big trouble. Nope, it's going to be a big shocker when, the, when they get up here. He, does, he spoils it. He spills the beans. He tells you how it's going to end for the righteous and for the wicked. He really wants you to know. And he's done that in his word. The Bible is filled with uh, 66 books, one plan, one plan. And I want you to know that this one plan runs cover to cover. Here's a picture of, I love this picture, this is Eve uh, art, artistically meeting Mary. And in the beginning, Eve, of course, sinned. And there, in that picture, there's the serpent wrapped around her leg because she sinned. And she and Adam plunged the world into sin. But there was a promise made to Eve uh, that one of your offspring, right, uh, he, you know, uh, he will crush the serpent's head. The serpent will strike his heel, but he will crush his head. And there is Mary standing on uh, the head of the snake. I love that thought that God promised in the very Garden of Eden that the snake would be crushed at some point in the future. He didn't leave us without hope. And then you remember the story of Abraham, right? God asked Abraham, this is a Rembrandt of Abraham sacrificing his own son. Why would God do that? Why would he expect Abraham few thousand years BC to sacrifice his own son. Well, he did that to show what God would do. This is the very like region, if not the very mountain, where Jesus would die thousands of years in the future. And there's a father, what, offering his child of promise, a miracle baby, a child of promise, so that a blessing could be unleashed on the world. Abraham was acting out what God would do, but there on that mountain, God called it off. Abraham, stop! And then it said, God will provide. God was getting the world ready thousands of years in advance for what? The one plan. The one plan that the father would offer his son so that a promise can be unleashed on the world. It's the same plan in Eden. It's the same plan uh, to Abraham. What about King David? Here's a picture of David slaying Goliath, right? Uh, what is that? Is that just like a bedtime story? David was amazing. He killed a giant. No, David would become a king and God would appear to David and say, one of your descendants will rule forever, ever. Solomon ruled for a bit. So there was a promise to one of David's descendants that hadn't been fulfilled. David's whole life acted out what Jesus would do. Jesus would slay the giants of sin and Satan and death, right? 
And finally, when, they, when uh, Jesus was born, he was born in the, in the town of David in Bethlehem. Do you see how the whole Bible points to Jesus? It's not, a, it's not a list of scattered myths and fables and stories. It all is one plan. We learned last week that Isaiah talked about how we would know this person would arrive. He would come down to rescue us, and he would bear the divine likeness. That's what Jesus did. All of this is a divine promise. God made promises, and he kept them, and he has to keep them. Here's the point. Only those who believe what they've heard from heaven can live with a thrill of hope. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe in the coming Savior and the King who would reign forever? You can live with a thrill of hope if you believe the divine promises found in this book. Number two, write this down. We have to admit a universal problem. Found in the scriptures, step one is admitting a universal problem that leads us to how we access these promises. Now, usually I pick a passage in the Bible and I go verse by verse through that passage, but today we're doing more of a survey of this concept of hope. That's why we're skipping around to different verses, and we're not digging down on any one of them. All of them are giving us a portrait of one concept, which is hope. And we have to admit a universal problem. The question here is, why do I need hope? And what alerts me to my need for hope? Well, it says in Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's a promise of eternal life, and then there's a problem. The problem is that none of us starts this life with hope of eternal life. And if you think you've just always been one of God's people, and you think from birth to death, oh yeah, I'm in. I've always been in because I was raised as a this or raised by a these people, whatever. You don't understand what the Bible teaches, that we all began this journey of life without hope. You started this world without hope of heaven. That is a hard reality to face. And some of us might say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, if you've been in, your, in the church your whole life, you should know better what this book says, that you're not born with hope. You're not born with it. There comes a point in your life where you have to take hold of the free gift of eternal life. Then the hope is yours. But we have a universal problem. We're born without hope. Um, my son, who is 13, uh, said to me a few weeks ago, he announced, sugar doesn't work on me anymore, Dad. Sugar doesn't work on me anymore, Dad. Now, he wanted a Slurpee at 9 p.m. That's why he was saying that. Do you think I believed him? No, because sugar has a universal effect on teenage boys. Universal. Sugar doesn't work on me anymore, Dad. You know, and uh, many of us live with this underlying assumption that like sin doesn't work on me the way it works on other people. Like I'm pretty good, and therefore I'm going to go to heaven. Other people are going to go to hell, like the worst. But but uh, sin doesn't work on me. And listen, here's the thing. I got to tell you, that's 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 a lie. Sin works on you the same way it works on everyone else, and it condemns us. Therefore, you have started this life without hope and without heaven. The Bible says in this passage that you're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, and having no hope, and listen, 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 without God. So sometimes people will say, well, God's always been there for me. Uh, incorrect. 
incorrect. Without God, he's always been there, but you haven't known him. He wants that to change. But if you assume that he is there, then it will never change. There's a universal problem, and only those who admit the universal problem can live with the thrill of hope. We start without hope, and the Bible says that it won't end well until we face the reality first. Frozen 2 came out recently. How many of you have seen Frozen 2? Frozen 2 came out. There's legal problems with Frozen 2 because a big, a big line in Frozen 2 is, trust your journey. Trust your Well, someone is suing Disney because they're saying, no, they, they stole that slogan from me. I've got all these shirts that say, trust your journey, and this merchandise, they took my logo. And so there's this big battle now in the courts. Because who owns the phrase, trust your journey? It's becoming this very interesting phrase right now. Many people live by that. Trust your journey. It'll all work together. Everything happens for a reason. And look, the Bible comes along and says, don't trust your journey. It's not going to end well. You're born without hope and without God. Get off your journey and get onto the journey of Christ. Then you can have hope. Have you admitted a universal problem? Jot this down. I need a Savior or it's hopeless. I need a Savior or it's hopeless. You have to face the reality first that you're in peril. And, and this is real and true regardless how aware you are of the peril. You may feel like you've been good with God your whole life and you can be horribly wrong. Here's a picture of a guy. I saw this gif this week, but here's a picture of a guy who's about to jump across those planks over this gulf while harnessed. And he's got this, the, the happiest look on his face as he jumps uh, from plank to plank to plank to plank. And then when he finally makes his last leap, his clip on the harness comes off. He was never properly harnessed. And he gets to the end and turns around. He's smiling. He gets to the end and turns around and then grabs it. And he's like... And look, you could be, you could be jumping through. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, and then, and then uh, but you're not. You're not harnessed to heaven. And boy, if he had fallen... This is called false hope. And if you don't admit the universal problem, if there's never been a time in your life where you've admitted that you were born without hope and without God, you have false hope. Whatever you think is holding you back there is going to give way at the very end and you're going to fall into the pit forever. False hope is not hope. You need a savior or it's hopeless. Our theme verse as a church is Hebrews 6, 19a. It says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've admitted that you need a Savior, I love this thought, you have hope as an anchor. Usually when you're on a boat, you throw the anchor down. But this picture in the Bible is an upside-down anchor. This anchor goes up. And it's like having an anchor in heaven that you are firmly secured to, like a harness, and Christ will never let you go. Are you anchored to heaven? Have you admitted the problem that you need a Savior? First, believe a divine promise. These are the four calling birds. Believe a divine promise. Admit a universal problem. Number three, embrace a holy person. Embrace a holy person. Only those who believe a divine promise and admit a universal problem and embrace a holy person can live with a thrill of hope. Have you embraced a holy person this answers the question, where do I look to find hope? 
All right, now that I know that I need it, and I know that God's promised it, where do I find it? The answer is in a holy person. The answer is in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is A Little Town of Bethlehem. And it says this in one verse, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. God laid out eternal life in a manger for you in Bethlehem. The shepherds ran to see it. The wise men traveled a thousand miles to worship the one who was born king. Have you been to Bethlehem? Have you run to the Savior? Have you come to worship Christ who was born king? Have you embraced the holy person of Jesus? If you have him, you have hope. And the Bible is clear, if you don't have him, you don't have hope. 1 Timothy 1.1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior, listen, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Our hope. He is human hope. He's hope in a body. It's the person who gives you the promise. It's the person who fixes the problem. Is Jesus real to you? Has he done something for you? Has he saved you? It says in 2 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's really awesome. Listen, it says that he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. So the question, do you have hope in this life, is, is equivalent to the question, have you been born again? When were you born again? It didn't happen at birth. Um, some of us, like me, we were baptized as babies and brought into the church that way. That's not being born again. We're only born again when we, become, uh, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls. When we've admitted the problem that we've broken God's law, we're hopeless and without God in the world, and we need a divine Savior to rescue our soul, that's when we're born again. That's when we get new life inside of us and we become a new creation. Sometimes when I ask people if they're going to heaven, they're like, yeah. And I say, well, when you get in front of the pearly gates and, you know, you're asked, well, why should I let you in? What would you say? And often people say, well, I've been a pretty good person. That's actually not true. The Bible says you've been a pretty dead person. The Bible says we're spiritually dead. Lifeless. Lifeless. So it's not, any, it's not a scale of goodness that gets us into heaven. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person? And so I'll often say that. I'll say, well, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. When did you become a saved person? They're like, I, I don't know. And if you don't know, then maybe God's showing you that today. It says here that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This means that if you're a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have treasure in heaven forever. I like that thought of an inheritance that's imperishable. I read a story in the Wall Street Journal recently that said in September, a court in Germany ruled on a case brought by a man who stuffed more than 500,000 euros in a faulty boiler in his house. That was his, like, safe. A boiler, all right? 
And then a friend came over on a cold day to check on the house while he was on vacation, turned the boiler on, and incinerated the 500,000 euros that were stuffed into the boiler. When the man came home and realized what happened, he sued his friend. (laughs) The court ruled that the friend was not to blame because the foolish man put the euros in a boiler that incinerated them. And the thought of a man burning up his life savings because of foolishness um, shows us that everything that we're storing up in this life is perishable, perishable. Uh, But what you store up in heaven is imperishable. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have treasure in heaven. There's paradise waiting for you forever. And when you cross over from this life to the next life, nothing is going to go with you. All right, this is what you brought into the world. This is what you will leave this world with. It will all, in the end, just burn up. So what do you have waiting for you in heaven? If you have Jesus, you have heaven forever, the treasure of, of, of paradise. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing waiting for you in the next life. Jot this down. Only Jesus can promise me life forever. Only Jesus can promise me life forever. I like what David Bruskis says. He says, the Bible isn't a book about a thousand principles to live by. It's a book about one person to live for. Are you living for that person? There's only one way to get into this life, and that's to be born. It's the only way in. And there's only one way to get into the next life, and that's to be born again. Have you been born again? Nicodemus talked to Jesus in John 3 and asked, how can a man be born again? What am I supposed to do? Mom, I'm coming over. We need to do it again. I know you pushed for three hours. I know I was breached. I'm coming over. Jesus said I need to be born again. Get ready. It's a, it's a foolish thought. How can I be born again? But it's a birth of the Spirit. It assumes there's no life in the soul, but when you encounter Jesus Christ, He can change that. He can bring you to life. Have you asked Jesus to be born again? You must invite Him to save you from your sins. What happened when God became a man in Bethlehem? The the promise of eternal life came down. Hey, have you, A, admitted to God that you're sinful and broken beyond repair? B, that you believe Jesus died and rose again and lives now? And C, have you called upon him as Savior and Lord? If, if you haven't gotten to the humbling, humiliating place in life where you can say to God, God, hell is my fault, and I deserve to go there, then you don't know you need a Savior. You're disagreeing with God on the condition of your soul. And, you know, if you go into the doctor and they're like, hey, we see something, a spot, it's really concerning, we want to go in there and take it out, and then maybe put some, ah, no, I disagree. Oh, Well, we're seeing it in there, and it's life-threatening, and we need to take action. Yeah, I just have a different opinion. It's not going to end well if you disagree with the experts on your body. How's it going to end if the Bible says that, really, it's terminal, your soul is actually already dead, we got to do something about that, and you're like, I just disagree. It's not going to end well for you. Maybe it's time today to admit that only Jesus can promise you life forever. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project. You can't get yourself there. You must be born again. 
Number one, believe a divine promise. If you want to live with the thrill of hope, number two, admit a universal problem. If you want to live with the thrill of hope, number three, embrace a holy person. And number four, expect a painful process. Expect a painful process. When it comes to knowing that you can live with hope, that you have new life, that God is for you, that he's made a promise before time began. A lot of people are like, I'm in. And then suddenly life gets hard and they're like, I'm out. Where is this sovereign God who's promising things before life? I'm now in pain. And why is he allowing life to be so hard? It must be false. I'm out. I'm out. And if you kind of were in for a while, but now you're out because life got hard, I would just challenge you that this was also spelled out in the Bible. Expect a painful process. It says in 1 Peter 1, 5-7, those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see how it's already there, but it's not yet done? Eternal life is already yours, but it's not yet finished. We have to live with that tension. In this, you rejoice Though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. This answers the question, how do do hope and pain go together? Uh, And the answer is they go together. They go together. Hope and pain reinforce each other. If you hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and live your life for him, you will suffer in this world. You'll suffer deeply because you'll know that this isn't home yet. God will not shield you from all of the hardship in this world. Hey, if Christmas taught us anything, it taught us that if God's son endured all the brutal actualities of life, so will you. Um, Jesus didn't come down with any advantage. He didn't have any shield. He didn't have any technology. You know, I was, I was talking with my kids about this earlier this week, but, you know, Jesus was an omniscient being. You would think that at some point in life he could be like, let me teach you about germs. <laughs> Let's all wash our hands so that we're a little safer here in this room. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't do that, right? He, um, he didn't have any advantage over you or me. He was actually very disadvantaged, brought up in a poor village in, in a back row, back woods town of the roman empire he had no advantage okay he had brothers and sisters and lived in probably a two room house where the animals were on the first floor and all the kids and the parents were on the second no indoor plumbing no indoor toilets no indoor nothing uh no there's no such thing as personal space he had no advantage god gave him a ordinary lower class lower lower class human existence And if God will make his son endure all of the brutal actualities of life, guess what? That's his plan for you and me. And that's why we need hope, because life will be a painful process. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, from from Nazi jail, wrote this, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. How, how can we live with hope if we've succeeded in making this world paradise? And isn't that what we want? We just want no pain, no sickness, no disease, no suffering, no debt. No, we, we want heaven here. And God's like, 
no deal. We can't have hope if we feel like we've already arrived. The truth is, when we have hope, then through the pain of this life, we can be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. And we can endure the delay and the trials and the waiting and the heartbreak because we have hope and hope gets us through. And remember, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Christ? I want to be more Christ-like. He had to live with hope. God made him wait. All right, when you study the life of Christ and you start adding up what it meant, given, given his life, uh, Jesus spent ten and a half years of his life sleeping because he was human. Ten and a half years of the, of the life of the Lord. Ten and a half years. And he still saved the world. So if you feel like God needs to hurry up, if you feel like, why is this taking so long? If you feel like, I didn't think it would be this hard, look to Jesus. Jesus had to live with hope that God would fulfill his eternal promises in his timing. And it happened. And it happened. And you can have peace. Listen, I know that you might feel like this is a hard chapter in your life, and maybe you feel like many chapters in your life have been hard. What do you get? Maybe if you're lucky, you get 80 chapters in this world, 90 maybe. A few get 100. And I don't know what's going to be in those chapters. And God doesn't guarantee you that those chapters are going to be good. But listen, I promise you the last billion chapters of your story are going to be perfect. Not just good. Perfect. I promise you the last billion chapters are going to be perfect. And when you know that, you can get through this page and the next one. You can turn those pages because you know the ending. This is how hope gets us through the hard days and the hard nights. This is how Jesus, who went through this life like you and me, slowly, steadily, faithfully with hope, gives you an example of how God wants you to do it. Do you want to live with a thrill of hope? Number one, believe a divine promise. God ordained a glorious ending before time began and declared his eternal plan in his word. Number two, admit a universal problem. I need a savior or it's hopeless. Number three, embrace a holy person. Only Jesus can promise me life forever. And number four, expect a painful process. Jot this down. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. These are the four calls of hope. These are the four invitations to live with a thrill of hope, to be joyfully fearless no matter what comes our way. And I want to leave you with one of the most blessed verses in all the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, 31, that spells out how hope works. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is what God has for you. Waiting is the hardest work of hope, a pastor once said. And I want to, I want to look, look, I want to show you what God has set out for you in Bethlehem. There it is, a thrill of hope. Will you take it? Will you take it? If so, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I just think of those who are here today and they they have the hope of the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ and they are being renewed 
even today and praise you, Jesus, that these are true words and promises that I have spoken today. Fill us with that joy of Christmas that is found in the manger because eternal life was laid out for us. What a gift. And Lord, for those who are weary and weak and fragile and their, their hope is, is low and needs to be renewed, I just pray that you would pick them up and help them not just to not just to hobble along on the ground, but send them to the skies, Lord. May their faith grow like never before. May their spirits soar in impossible ways. Remind them, Jesus, of the agony that you endured. And I pray that they would live joyfully fearless as the ending is written. And Lord, for those who are here today, and maybe they walked in thinking that as they looked over their shoulder, there was something clipped on, something holding them, something that would prevent them from falling away from God forever. But now they realize they've never known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They have no hope. And maybe this is the first time they're willing to admit it. Maybe right now in their own heart, they're willing to say, God, I don't have you. Jesus, I don't know you. Maybe you need to say that to him right now. Admit the truth. And then say, Jesus, save me forever. Give me an anchor for my soul, firm and secure. Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. Promise me heaven forever and ever and ever. Fill me with the joy, the thrill of hope. This I pray based on the promises I heard in God's word. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.